1 John chapter 5. Say amen. How many of you didn't turn there and you're just faking it? There's a few of you. It's all right. You can be on. You got to be honest as church, right? You got to be honest. So, so we've been in First John for a little while now. This is part four, and First uh, John is is kind of hard to outline. You know, as you, as you read through First John, instead of an outline or like a, a definite uh, 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 like source of events or a definite like just first, second, third, fourth, this is what happens throughout the letter. That that doesn't really happen in First John. Uh, it's more of a weaving together of ideas and words and thoughts. And, and John kind of weaves this letter together, and he revisits multiple things throughout the letter. So he starts in one place, and you get some great information, and then he goes down this road for a little while, and then he comes back to where he started again and hits on that again, and he just reemphasizes stuff. And he kind of goes over and over again, so it's hard to outline and kind of roll through First John, but we can get our, the principles that are in First John, which are so important. He, he covers some topics multiple times. Uh, sometimes he even seems to contradict himself. If you're reading and you're not looking at the history and you're not focused on who he's actually writing to, uh, you could actually think, well, well man, he's kind of contradicting himself. And you could have that thought if you haven't dug in and started to really study why he's talking about the things that he's talking about. Uh, I believe it was in chapter 1 and maybe into chapter 2 uh, where he said Christians don't sin, right? And he said that. And then a little while later, he said, and if you say you don't sin, you're a liar, right? And at first, you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, well, he just said Christians don't sin, so I'm a Christian, so I don't sin. And then he said, if you say you don't sin, you're lying about it, right? So, so there's some weaving of, of the tapestry of this letter that we have to know the history, we have to know who he's speaking to, we have to know who he's speaking about, and we have to know the idea of why he's, he's moving from one subject to the other like he is. Uh, the truth is that he was, he was really uh, going after Gnosticism of the time. And Gnosticism was a, a form of Christianity during that time that was rampant in the church. Uh, but Gnosticism itself had branches of Christianity. So Gnosticism itself had different uh, elements of belief all across it. So John was trying to tackle all the different elements of belief of Gnosticism in this one letter. And he was kind of tackle people and saying, hey, don't get fooled by this stuff. Don't get fooled by these people who are telling you something that is actually not of the gospel of Christ. Right? Don't be fooled by that. Uh, I heard a... Uh, 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 can I give that stat that you gave me? It's not really a stat, but a, a bit of information about the Mormons. About the Mormon stuff. You don't know if it's accurate? Okay. Well, you told me like you knew it was accurate. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, when I want to use it in a sermon, well, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> what? Okay. All right. Sorry to get your hopes up, church, but... Jessica just shot that one down. So, <laughs> but, but Gnosticism during the time had many different forms of belief. How, how many of you know that during in Christianity today we have many different forms of beliefs, right? It go it can go crazy sometimes, right? That's why we as as Christians and as a church need to have a core tenets of belief system in our life that we know is true, because if you don't know what's true, then anything that comes along can sway you. And if you don't know that uh, these facts are what we believe as followers of Christ, and this is where we hang our hat, 
right? This, this, this right here is where we hang our hat. And if people sway to the left or to the right of that, we don't go with them, right? We don't move with them. We don't, we don't invite them over and, and get into bed with them. We don't, we don't have, start having dinner every night and bring them into our inner circle if they're moving opposite or in different directions from where we hang our hat on our faith where we know it's true. Right. It doesn't mean that you don't have anything to do with people who may believe differently because you have to impact the world by being a part of the world. But you have to guard your inner circle because your inner circle is so important. If you really look at the th look at the three people who are closest and have most access to your heart and mind. Just just think about that for a second. Think about the three people in your life who have the most access to your heart and mind. And then think about where they line up with their belief system and your belief system. Yeah. Where do they line up at? And if they don't line up in that area, they probably don't have any business in your inner three. They probably don't have any business being in that. And if, and if you don't have three people in your life that believe like you believe, you better sign up for small groups next week. Because <laughs> you'll get, that was another pitch for small groups. But, but you'll, get, you'll get people in your life by, by coming into contact, by hanging out with certain people at church. Now, is that saying to you that everybody that shows up here on a Sunday morning thinks and believes the way we do? Probably not. You know, probably most of them do. Uh, but there's probably some people that show up here who have some different thoughts about, about things and culture and life. Uh, so you have to be careful who you allow into your mind and into your heart, right? That's, a, that's, a, that's the inner, inner temple, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the sanctity stuff and inside of you. That's your safe place is your heart and mind. And if you give people access to your heart and mind uh, that don't line up with you, you'll soon find yourself swaying from where you hung your hat on your belief system. You know, how, how do you think there was a, uh, I believe it was an AG church probably about a year ago uh, that was in the news because they all of a sudden started affirming homosexuality. And it's, it was an AG church, AG belief structure, AG ordained pastor. Um, everything was AG. They, they, they come from the same teachings that, that we came through to get ordained, and there are several of us in this room that are licensed or credentialed through the Assemblies of God. Uh, they went through those same teachings, but at some point in their life, they had people in their influence, in, inside their inner circle, that led them into a different direction, right? So much so that the pastor and the elders of the church all agreed to begin to affirm homosexuality as okay with God. And at that point, the church split. About half the church said, well, you know, yeah, we kind of agree with you. And the other half said, well, no, that's not scriptural. It's not biblical. That's not God's heart. You know, we love people who are struggling with same-sex relationships. We love them. We want to see them rescued, saved, set free. Uh, but we don't affirm sin, right? We don't say sin isn't sin, right? We, we, we always have to call sin what it is. So that's part of hanging our hat where we're on, on our faith. So in this Gnosticism, there was one form of Gnosticism that said we are saved because of knowledge, right? He said they've gained, they were very prideful people, and they said I've gained so much head knowledge about God uh, that that's what saves me. So, so, so there was a certain form of Gnosticism that said uh, we, we are saved by how much knowledge we have, so how we live doesn't matter. Right? They said they can live any old way they want because they've acquired all the head knowledge that they need in order to be saved. Right, That was one form of Gnosticism. The other one said that we are saved by what we do. Right, We are saved by uh, our works. 
that was the other form of Gnosticism. So they were two completely different opposite directions. Uh, they were splintered off of each other. Uh, one believed they're totally saved by what they know. The other one believes they're totally saved by what they do. Neither one of them line up with Scripture, <laughs> right? Neither one of those line up with what we believe as Christ followers. Neither one of them. So both of those people affirmed the deity of Christ, but they didn't affirm the humanity of Christ. So they all believed that God was that that Jesus was God, uh, but they didn't believe that Jesus actually was a hundred percent man. Also, right? So they started twisting and changing the gospel. Uh, we know as the gospel, and the reason the gospel works is because we know that God became man for us, right? That Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. That he was he was actually born like every other baby that's born, right? He was born with a physical body. Matter of fact, he still has that same body. It's just glorified, right? He has that same body ascended into heaven, but it's a glorified body. Uh, so God Himself came to Earth in the form of Jesus Christ, His Son, and and was born and had a physical body, and yet He was a hundred percent man, but yet He was a hundred percent God. Right. So so we believe that within our faith and, and these two faiths contradicted that. Right. So Paul is, or not Paul, I'm sorry. John is dealing with both of these issues in the time. How many of you know that truth has has ditches that run alongside e each side of it? Right. Truth is like this highway going right down the middle row. Right. And on each side of that highway is a ditch. You got a ditch on the left and a ditch on the right. And if people begin to sway from the truth, they'll end up in one ditch or the other. And depending on which way they go, it depends on what extreme they hit, right? So if they, if they sway too much to the left, they'll end up in the ditch over here. If they sway too much to the right, they'll end up in the ditch over here. But both ways are, are different from the truth, right? Both ways are, are swaying away from the truth. So in the study of Scripture, the way that we read 1 John and the way that we understand, especially in chapter 5, is that we always read and study in context, right? We read an entire book in context. We read entire chapters in context so that we understand the context of the scripture. That's how we study, right? Does that mean you can't pull one scripture out uh, like John 3.16 and tout that scripture and say that? You know, no, actually, you can do that. But when you study the scriptures, read John 3.17 too. Read John 3.15 too. You know, don't just pull out one scripture. Read it all in context so that you understand it fully. Uh, if you only read scripture in, in taglines and bits and pieces and highlight reels, uh, then you won't know too much about the Bible. You know, and you'll be easily swayed. So when you study, study the Bible in depth. Read your chapters. Read your, read your don't just uh, pull up, man, I've got this uh, verse of the day. <laughs> you know, verse of the day is great. And, and study that and, and do that, but get some more too. You know, begin to dive in. Where did that verse come from? What was the context of what was happening in that verse? Let's study it and let's get into it. So you don't just study one book of the Bible. You don't just study one chapter of the Bible. But how many of you know you study all of the Bible in its entirety as a whole as well, right? So a lot of the Bible comes from different parts of the Bible, Right? A lot of what Jesus quoted in the New Testament was found in the Old Testament. So sometimes you need to go to the Old Testament and study uh, where Jesus was quoting from and what was going on so you can fully understand what's happening and moving forward. And how many of you know that as we study the scriptures and it gets deep down in our heart, it's harder for anybody to sway you in the wrong direction. So it's harder to be swayed, right? Um, so let's start reading in verses 1 through 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. 
And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten by him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So in those first few verses, as we read one through five, we see five evidences of a true believer, right? So John, right off the bat in chapter five, and how many of you know when he wrote the letter, he didn't label chapter five, chapter four, chapter three, right? That's for our benefit. Uh, but in this portion of the letter that we're reading today, known as chapter five in our, in our, in our modern Bible, uh, we see five evidences in those first five scriptures of a true believer, what are those evidences? This is the first one. A true believer loves God. A true believer loves God. Some of you, I see your mind right now. You're going, check. <laughs> right? Mental note. Yep, I love God. Check. Yeah, I'm a true believer. So a true believer loves God. Uh, how many of you know that was the greatest commandment? When Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Right? He said the second one's like that. You love your neighbor as yourself. Right, so, so the greatest commandment is also the first evidence that John gives, love God. So a true believer loves God. A second one is this one, a true believer loves God's child, right? So this one is, is actually singular. Uh, when we study this in the verse, in the scripture, it's singular. A true believer loves God's child, singular, which is Jesus, right? Jesus is the unique son of God. Right? We love Jesus. So not only do you love God, you love Jesus. Not only do you worship God, you worship Jesus. Why do you think that uh, in political realms and in public, in public forays over the last, say, decade or, or 15 or maybe even 20 years, couple of decades, you see people invited to pray and they say, you're, you're, you can say God all you want, but just don't say Jesus. Right, and they say we'd love for you to come. Matter of fact, uh, Samuel uh, Samuel Rodriguez Samuel Rodriguez uh, tells the story about being invited to a White House event. Uh, this was probably I think it was under President Obama, maybe, but he was invited to a White House event. He was asked to pray. Uh, he was praying behind many different uh, religious figures who were not Christians. Uh, one of the the figures he came after to pray behind was a was actually an atheist, <laughs> you know, who, who was praying uh, to nobody, you know, and. and and, and he came up, and he was behind all of these types of people, right? So he gets up to pray, and they had told him, they had hammered him, do not say the name of Jesus. Pastor, we love that you're here today, love that you love God. So just pray to God, pray in the name of God, don't pray in the name of Jesus. And he said he got up there to the microphone, and something came over him. And he grabbed the microphone, and he had listened to all these prayers that were just uh, to the wrong people that were just whiffs of smoke going up into the air that were prayers to demons and prayers to false religions. And he'd heard all this, and he said something came over him. And he began to pray, and he prayed very eloquently and very nicely, and everybody was smiling. And then when he got to the end of the prayer, he began to say, in the name of of the king of kings in the name of the lord of lords in the name above every other name that was spoken of here today in the name of jesus christ amen right and he closed his prayer like that and and when i i heard uh, samuel rodriguez say that at an event and and when he did the entire room erupted up but why because there's power in the name of jesus 
right? And, and there's lots of people who serve lots of gods, but not every person that says, I love God, loves God the Father who begot the Son, Jesus Christ, right? There's lots of people who serve different types of gods. So just because somebody says, well, I love God, it doesn't mean you need to clarify that, right? Especially if you're getting ready to go on a date. <laughs> We're getting into Valentine's Day, right? Especially if you're getting ready to be asked out. You know, uh, can you clarify which God exactly do you love? Yeah. Which God exactly do you serve? You know, when they say, what do you mean, which God? You know, aren't all the gods the same? No, as a matter of fact, they're not. Which God uh, do you serve? Which God do you love? And, and before you get intimately involved with anybody on any level and you bring them into your, your three, you need to know who they love. Which God are they talking about? Is it Jesus Christ or is it just some random uh, name that they throw out there that, that they think has some sort of power? Right? So we need to know. So, so a true believer loves God. A true believer loves God's child, which is Jesus Christ, the unique Son of God. How many of you know that Jesus is God? Amen? Jesus is God. He wasn't a good man. He wasn't just a good teacher. Uh, he wasn't a man that Gnosticism taught that, that the Holy Spirit happened to come on at a time of baptism. But before that, he was just like any other man. And then when he went to the cross, the Holy Spirit left him, and then he died like any other man. Right? Gnosticism began to teach that in that time to Christians, and Christians began to grab a hold of it. We don't believe that. We believe that Jesus is God. He's a second member of the Trinity, right? So we need to know that. The third one is this. It says that a true believer loves God's children, plural, right? So we love God's child, singular, Jesus Christ, the, the only begotten son of God. But we also love God's children, plural. Uh, what does that mean? That means followers of Christ, children of God, but not God's ourselves, right? We need to know that. Uh, how many of you know that you are not a God? I, I just want to make it, if you believe you're God, just lift your hand. No, if you're too embarrassed to lift your hand, just see me after service. If you believe you're a God, right? Uh, and I, I say that because Mormons teach and believe that eventually if you do enough good, you can rise to the level of being a God yourself and go off and get your own planet and run it any way you like, right? So that's what Mormons teach and believe, right? They're such nice people, guys. Nice people. Man, I, I know some Mormons, and, and man, I like them. I like them. They're nice people. They do not believe the same way we believe. They are not Christians. They're not followers of Jesus Christ. You need to know that. We need to know that, okay? The, the other thing, uh, now listen, I'm getting into our own home territory for a minute. There's some extreme charismatic TV evangelist personalities over the last few years who have touted that we are God's. They've taken one verse out of context with the rest of history and everything else that has been taught and taught that uh, we as followers of Christ, because we are called sons of God, uh, are gods ourselves. You know, and that's, how many of you know that's getting into the ditch, right? That's falling into the ditch on the right side. Uh, Mormons fell into the ditch on the left side. These, these television evangelist personalities fell in the ditch on the right side. And uh, they need to repent and, and come out of that because it's not true, right? Uh, I've also noticed and seen that uh, there was a gentleman one time at my previous church that was out in the parking lot uh, teaching that we are gods, right? And he had a book to prove it written by a Native American man somewhere in, in Idaho, 
right? And it was self-published at that, right? He had the self-published book to prove it that we are God's, and he was giving it to everybody he could come into contact with in the parking lot after church on Sunday services, right? And how many of you know that's a false gospel? It's not the gospel that we know. Right, so, so we have to be careful of what we receive. So a true believer loves God's kids. Who are God's kids? That's us. We're God's children. We're not God's. Right? The, only God, the only child of God's that was a God was Jesus Christ. Right? We're God's children. We're not God's. The next one is this. A true believer obeys God's word. Right? So a true believer loves God. A true believer loves God's child, singular. A true believer loves God's children, plural, us that are followers of Christ. And a true believer obeys God's word. Which part? All Ten Commandments. <laughs> all, all Ten Commandments and all the New Testament commandments. You know, we follow, we follow God's word, right? We, 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 we love God's word. We follow God's word. And, and we don't view it like that song that Pastor Brad sang earlier. We don't view it as even a sacrifice, because it's the least we could do, right? That we follow the word of God, that we love and obey God's word. Uh, the next one is this, a true believer overcomes the world. So in five verses, we've got all kinds of content. A true believer loves God. A true believer loves Jesus. A true believer loves the followers of Christ. A true believer obeys God's word. And a true believer overcomes the world. So, so when you're a true believer... You know you are no longer a part of the world's systems. Your citizenship is in where? In heaven, right? So our citizenship is in heaven. We're no longer a part integrally of the world's systems, right? We're no longer a part of that. Uh, the world translated there means human society organized and functioning apart from God or man trying to meet its own needs with its own effort. Right? So there's a, there's a world system that, tr that pushes God out, that says we don't need God to be a part of it. It's a part of most political structures. It's definitely a part of the political structure that's in power today, that we push God out. We don't need it. Man can absolutely uh, do everything that we need to do on our own, including climate change. Right? It, 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 it must be caused by man, and, and so man can fix it. Right? And, and it's a big undertaking for a man. I just want to tell you that. But these are, these are areas of the world where we need not get overly involved, right? We need to understand that our citizenship is in heaven, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and co-citizens of heaven. That means that we don't allow any other labels to be placed on us that bring us at odds with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't take on any other labels because in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female. Right? Neither slave nor free. Neither Democrat nor Republican. And in Christ, there's, 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 there's none of that, right? In Christ, we are brothers and sisters, and we need to acknowledge that, that we're separate from the systems of the world. So does that mean, Pastor Steve, are you telling us that we don't vote, we need to take the American flag out? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying remember where your true allegiance lies. Remember where your primary cause is for this life. As we move through purpose on Sunday mornings, we're going to continue to dig more into that. We're going to, we're going to talk about marriage this week, but we're, then we're going to dig into more purpose-related stuff throughout the rest of the month. So, so make sure that you come be a part of that. So, so as we listen to this and we say, okay, a true believer is all of these things, 
most of us in our flesh in the moment, the first inkling of our selfishness is how much of all of that can I leave out and still get to heaven? Right? How much of all of that, Brian, can I leave out, not, per, not participate in, kind of ignore, and still be okay? Like, how much of that can I do? Well, and, and this is where it comes into to what most people say is this. What do I have to do to be saved? Right? We see it with the story of the rich young ruler. What do I have to do to be saved? What do I get out of it? But what can I get by with? How far can I go? Right? And these are all, how many of you know that this is all language of the world, not language of the kingdom of heaven? Right? The language of the world is selfishness. The language of the world is I, 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 I. The language of the kingdom of heaven is plural. The language of the kingdom of heaven is we. Right? So, so, so moving into, into this, Americanized Christianity is I, I, I. Kingdom language is us. Kingdom language is us. So if we pick up in verses 6 through 13, this is what it says. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is what? Greater. The witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of who? His son. God himself testifies of Jesus Christ. God himself, the Holy Spirit, uh, in his entirety of his work on this earth is a testimony to Jesus Christ. It's a testimony to who Jesus is. Uh, Pastor Steve, do I need to be uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Uh, Pastor Steve, do I need to be uh, uh, listening uh, for the voice of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Because every contact that you make in the Holy Spirit points you back to Jesus Christ. Every contact that you make in the Holy Spirit, every word that he says to you is testimony of Jesus Christ. It's testimony of Jesus. So he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. What does that mean? Holy Spirit lives within us. Holy Spirit is constantly testifying to us of the Son, of Jesus Christ. So we have him inside ourselves. He who does not believe God has made him, and notice the capital H, if you're in certain translations, it capitalizes, certain so other ones don't. Uh, the capital H there is you believe, who does not believe God has made God a liar, is basically what it's saying. Because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and that this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who, who, who does not have the son of God does not have life. Uh, what's the only way to heaven? Okay, just wanted to check. So the only way to heaven is relationship and acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? Time and time again, Mr. Larry King, who, who just passed away recently, was a television personality, news reporter. Time and time again, he would bring Christians on his show and badger them and badger them to try to get them to say uh, that there were other ways to heaven than through Jesus Christ. Sometimes he succeeded in shutting the mouth of ministers and people who were on his show, and sometimes he didn't. Uh, but that's the world's viewpoint is to try to get you to believe that, hey, all of this uh, leads to God. 
doesn't matter which way you get to go there. In the words of Steve Harvey uh, that I was talking about last week, uh, in the words of Steve Harvey, he said, you know, it all leads to heaven. It's like different channels on TV. No matter which channel you watch, there's going to be something that's entertaining. Right? And he, he, he kind of related scripture to multiple channels on cable. Right, And he said, it doesn't matter which channel you watch, you're still going to get entertained. He's basically saying, it doesn't matter which God you serve, eventually you're still going to get in heaven. How many of you know that's the world's push? Right, The world is pushing Christians to say, oh, Jesus isn't the only way. And to say that Jesus is the only way is hateful. That's hateful. That's evil. That's saying that other people aren't going to go to heaven. Well, yeah, that's what we're saying. You know? Uh, you know what would be hateful? Believing the word of God and not sharing it with you. That would be hateful. We believe the word of God, and we believe that unless you believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to end up in hell. So the loving thing to do would be for us to share that with you, right? It wouldn't be hateful for me to share that, but the world flips it and tries to make it hateful for us to share our faith. Uh, don't worry, because Jesus said the world hated him too, right? So when we struggle with, uh, with processes and things in the world, we as followers of Christ don't need to link arms with those processes, but we need to understand that we're set apart. We're different, right? We're followers of Christ. So, so in this, um, he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you that who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, John again begins to lay out all that entails our faith. This is where we hang our hat. This is what we believe. Now, this is something that's kind of interesting uh, if you're uh, nerdy and, and like to get into to this kind of stuff and you like to study uh, historical stuff and stuff like I do. But um, John uh, s talks about faith here as a noun and not a verb. And it's the only place in the entirety of John's writings where he speaks of faith as a noun and not a verb. So a verb is, is the action the, the faith in action, putting your faith to action, right, would be the verb. In a noun, he, he's, he is labeling a group of people who believe a certain thing as our faith, right? Now, we use it like that on a regular basis, right? We're a part of the faith, right? This is our faith. This is where we believe. So he's labeling a group of people and setting them apart from the others who believe separately. So he's saying, those of you who are a part of our faith, this is where you hang your hat. This is what you believe. This is where you stick to your guns, right? And those who are Gnosticism or who are different uh, other sects of Christianity that he's commenting about and talking about, uh, those of you that are there are not part of our faith because they're preaching a different gospel. So, so I know I've hammered on this for a few weeks, but the truth is there's people that are being uh, swayed away from our faith because they don't know enough about it. Right? They're not spending enough time studying it. And, and listen, I love more than anything. Matter of fact, I said it to myself about eight times today that, that I absolutely uh, do not like preaching word, line for line through the Bible. I, I just don't like it. Like I, I struggle with it because it's not my first inkling. It's not my first style. My first style is to find a chapter or a verse or a few verses and pull out of that a life lesson and then begin to, to preach and talk about how to apply that to our daily life. And I do that a lot, right? And that's normally the way I preach. I don't typically walk through the scripture like this, and it's hard. Why is that? Because you've got to put in the work. 
All right? So if it's hard for me to do it, it's hard for you to do it as well. And it's hard for you to find time to do it. But how many of you know how important it is to find time to walk through and put in the work and know the history and know the context and know what you're reading when you read the scripture, right? And, and, and if you say, well, I haven't been to theology school, haven't been to college, I haven't, I haven't learned how to study that kind of stuff, the Holy Spirit will guide you and lead you along the process. You put in the effort, you put in the time, the Holy Spirit will bring the enlightenment of the Scripture to you. And you'll, you'll, you'll find some stuff that maybe you've never even thought about when you're reading through the Word. Stuff that the Holy Spirit will bring to you. So, so our faith is described as a description of a group of people. So John is classifying true Christians apart from false Christians. He's, tra- he's classifying true prophets apart from false prophets or true teachers apart from false teachers in this moment. So he's classifying people of the faith. So in verses 6 through 13, John describes what we in the faith believe. What is that? We believe that Jesus was born of water and blood. That he was born of physical, in the flesh, of a woman, uh, of water. Where does the water come in? That, that water is the, the breaking of water when a woman has a baby, right? We have some pregnant folks in the church, right? When before that baby comes, at some point that water's got to break. Right, So he had a physical birth. It was of water and then of blood that he had a physical death, that Jesus had a physical birth and a physical death, and we believe that. Serinthian uh, Gnosticism said that the Holy Spirit didn't come upon Jesus until his baptism. Right? said that the Holy Spirit, well, I'm pretty sure if you read in the Bible in context, the Holy Spirit was there at his conception. I'm pretty certain, you know. If I'm wrong there, you know, Brian, grab me afterwards. But I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit was part of his conception, right? Because I'm pretty sure they told Mary this baby is being conceived of the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit was there for Jesus from conception all the way to death and then in his resurrection. The Holy Spirit was there, right? So we we believe that. Um, The Holy Spirit bore witness to Jesus' life in its entirety from birth till death till the resurrection. Uh, There are three witnesses, water, blood, and spirit. Uh, Why would he bring up three witnesses? Because he's talking to Jews, and in Jews, in order to, to prove a point or a fact or a truth, there has to be three witnesses. Right. In order to find somebody guilty in the in Judaism, they have to have three witnesses. So he's talking about the witnesses here are water, blood and spirit is what he's talking about. So water here refers to the natural birth of Jesus. Blood refers to the crucifixion or his death. And the spirit witnessed every single stage of Christ's life all along the way. And then the next one is this, that we who have believed in Christ give testimony that he who has the son has life. That we who believe in Christ give testimony. How many of you know that's your job? That's your job, that's my job, that's our job. To give testimony that he who believes in Christ has life. Now this is cool, and this is a shouting moment. And I know we've dug into some stuff that could get a little little dry. uh, But this is a shouting moment. Uh, The word life here is zoe, which is Z-O-E. And, and this is referencing not just the length of life, eternity, but the quality of life. So it's, it's referencing not just the length of life that, oh, praise Jesus, one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to be able to smile. You know, or, or listen, the old, old Christianity was this, that we just, we just get by, brother, you know, till we, get to the, till we get to the other side. And one day, one day we're going to have it all, but right now we're miserable as can be, you know. I haven't smiled in 37 years, you know. How long have you been saved? 37 years. Yeah. 
You know, we, the old Christianity was that you didn't get life until you, until you got eternal life in heaven, right? But that's not the truth, that, that the life that Jesus gives us is future life full of glory in heaven, but it's also a present life full of grace, that in this present life we can have joy, and in this present life we do have pain, but even in the pain we can have his peace. And we can have his joy. Amen. So I think that's awesome. Verses 14 through 17 are this. Now, this is the confidence that we how are we doing. I got three minutes. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So John begins to cover next the prayer life of a Christian. So he's talked about what makes a Christian, who Christians are, what Christians believe, what's the tenets of our faith. And then he begins to switch it at the end of this epistle. And at the end of this writing, he switches it into the prayer life of a Christian. How many of you know that that's one of the most important things of a Christian? That's one of the most important things of the Christian walk is our prayer life with Christ. And if your prayer life is drying up, I was just having this conversation with somebody in my office this week. If your prayer life is drying up and you just don't even feel like praying, know this, that you are under spiritual attack. You're under spiritual attack. And you got to press through and continue until that passion to pray comes back. And you, you've got to press through because the enemy will keep you down where you don't pray effectively and you don't pray the way that, that Christians are supposed to pray and you'll be ineffective in the spirit realm, right? So the enemy wants to keep you ineffective. We want to be effective for Christ. That means that we push through and continue to pray. So uh, as we move through, the, he talks about two indicators of how Christians would pray, and I'm going to cover these indicators in under a minute, okay? The first one is this, confidentiality. I'm sorry. I just read that totally wrong. Confidently. Thank you. That was the right word. <laughs> You're like, confidentiality. Is God going to tell somebody what you said? You know? Uh, no. Uh, that's what I get for hurrying. So confidently. Confidently is the first way that we come before the Lord and pray. Everything we ask according to his will, he hears us. We can go to God confidently as his children, having free access and boldness of speech. There are limitations to the assurance of our prayers, though. So we as Christians need to know what the limitations are. Uh, how do we know that what we pray is going to get answered or not? Uh, here's, here's, here's what it says. So in John 14, 13 and 14, John 15, 16, John 16, 23, and John talks about this a lot. And in verse 24, say that we must be abiding in Christ and have him abiding in us. That we must be living and walking with Christ and have him living and walking with us for our prayers to be answered. So that's the first thing. Uh, the definition of in Jesus' name isn't necessarily that we just put those words at the end of a prayer like a magical hat on the end of our prayer. It's not that in Jesus' name at the end of a prayer is a magical sentence, but that we pray in Jesus' name. We pray while we're abiding in Christ and him abiding in us, not just in those 30 seconds of the prayer, but in the 15 minutes and 15 hours and 15 days before that prayer, right? That we abide in Christ and him in us, and then our prayers get answered. John 15, 17 says that we must have faith in our prayers. 
So to confidently come before God, we abide in, in Christ. We must have faith. Matthew 21, 22 and James 1, 6 says that we must be righteous in life and fervent in prayer. That means that we're living as holy as we possibly can with the help of the Holy Spirit. That we're not in uh, sin to the point that we are just willfully sinning in life. Uh, but we're living as righteously and making as righteous a decision as we can. Uh, and then you are set up more to have your prayers answered, right, if we're, if we're living in righteousness. Uh, and then 1 John 5.14 says this, that what we pray must be according to his will. What we pray must be according to his will. So genuine prayer is not an attempt to get what we want from God. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this again because this is so important. Genuine prayer is not an attempt to get something that we want from God. That's not the attempt, but it's rather the attempt to submit ourselves to his will. Genuine prayer coming before God is not laying out my, my stuff. These are all, God, I need you to do this first, this second, this third, do this in this way. Send me a check here for this amount and, and, and cover this while you're at it. That's not authentic. Authentic, genuine prayer is coming before God and wanting to hear his will and then so that your will can line up with his. And when we pray his will, he answers. When we pray his will, things happen. Amen. The second way that we pray is compassionately. So we pray uh, confidently or confidentially, however you see it. And we, we pray compassionately, right? So praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ who find themselves in sin. So how many of you know there's a difference between gossiping and determining the state of somebody's life, right? You, the difference is in your heart. If somebody that you know that's a part of your church body or a part of your inner circle has fallen away from God and is sinful and, and living a sinful life, uh, the, the difference between just gossiping about them and determining they are living in sin, they're apart from Christ, is, is the heart, right? So, so at the point that you notice that somebody's like that, the next point is compassionately going to God and praying for them, praying for them to return to Christ, praying for their salvation. So uh, how many of you know compassionate prayer is just not for intercessors? Right. Sometimes we think, well, the intercessors will take care of that. <laughs> you know, the intercessors will, you know, I'm not an intercessor and intercessors, they're, they're the ones that pray passionately and they're the ones who, who really, you know, feel it. But the truth is intercessors may feel what people are going through in the moment when they pray. Uh, but compassionate prayer is understanding to the best of your ability what somebody is dealing with before you pray. Right. So it's compassionate prayer for them. I'm going to leave off, guys, right now and, and kind of close because we're out of time. And, um, but if you read through the rest of, of verses 18 through 21, um, John ends basically talking about false teachers again. And I spent a lot of time on that a couple of weeks ago. So I'll just kind of skip that out. Um, I'm going to close in prayer tonight. Does, does anybody um, need prayer? Is anybody? Pastor Brad, would you come join me? I feel like um, if you got to go, I, it's 8.34. I, I, I already held you over four more minutes, you know. So if, if you need to go, you can go. Uh, those of you that are at home, we love you. Thank you so much for, for being with us tonight. Join us Sunday for, for our next part of the, of the series. But we love you. Have a good night. You can turn that off. And is there, is there anybody in the house that maybe, maybe you're struggling and, and listen, I, I called out Mazuli earlier because the Holy Spirit laid her on my heart, and I wanted to get a group of women just around her to speak into her, pray over her, and build her up. 
But if you're in this place and you're struggling and you're like, Josh, and you looked up here and you saw Zuli surrounded with people praying for her and you thought, man, I, I need that. You know, I, I want this to be a moment before we close tonight that, that you get that opportunity if you're in need. And I'm going to open the altars right now that if you want to come up and get some prayer, I'm going to take this moment to, to not just be me praying for you, but to call people out of the body to come around you and, and, and just lift you up in prayer as, as, a, as a family. Amen. So we've been talking about all through the epistles of John on how we're, we're a family and we're, we're, we're a family unit. We're a part of Christ. And I don't want anybody sitting in this place tonight hurting, broken, worried, disappointed. Maybe your heart's broken. Maybe your heart's shattered. And, and tonight, you just need some people to gather around you and, and pray for you. And if that's you, it's, it's open. Come on up. We've got a, a few people up here. Come on up, Miss Jenna. The cameras are off. If you're concerned about online, don't worry about it. They're off.